Days are here again doing the thing from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood, and when Americans tend to think about ancient civilizations, megalithic sites, mystical places, and even legends like Atlantis, we tend to think that all the exciting stuff is out there somewhere. We dream about taking trips to places like the Giza Plateau, Machu Picchu, Stonehenge, Anger Wat, the Ziggurat of Ur, Carthage. Baalbek, or even the Great Wall of China and a dozen other interesting places scattered across this island earth, not realizing that we are missing so much right in our own backyard, ignorant of the echoes of civilization hidden between the highways, under the malls, and featured as hazards on prestigious golf courses. Well, we've talked to guests who have taught us much about the hidden history and mystical aspects of places like Philadelphia, the Susquehanna River area, Phoenix, Arizona, Detroit, Michigan, and more not to mention explorations of the mounds as well as giants and giant skeletons that early settlers encountered and unearthed. But today we're taking a deep dive into my new home, the sunny state of Florida. Despite the lackluster PR campaign, Florida actually has some of the most unique geography and strangest sites in the country. With a massive 100,000 square mile aquifer that supplies some of the freshest water known to man through over a thousand springs all throughout the state and beyond as well as beaches of quartz crystal sand, strange energetic anomalies spawning from a corner of the Bermuda Triangle, Coral Castle, suppressed pyramids, the Saxer Stones, an ancient underground city beneath Tampa, man-made structures deep underwater, a rich history of those giant people, and what used to be giant trees rivaling the biggest redwoods of the Pacific Northwest before they were all harvested. And folks, these are just a few of the exciting things I've learned from keeping an eye on the work of today's guest, Dr. Narco Longo, through the fascinating videos and documentaries you can find on his YouTube channel, Old World Florida. So many mysteries, so little time, so let's do the damn thing. The Old World Florida Man, America's Dick Detective, and the Sunshine State's Strange Stuff Sleuth Superior, Dr. Longo, welcome to the higher side. Oh, man. That was quite the... Uh... <laughs> quite the crescendo thanks for having me on greg yeah man yes really looking forward to doing this i have really liked doing shows with guests who have a deep handle on the mysteries of their own area and florida seems like one of the most exciting places to cover i learned about your work after an episode i did with analog and now it just so happens to line up as the first show i'm doing from my new florida home so the timing is just right but you cover so much material on your channel, it's hard to know exactly where to start. If we wanted to give the audience an overview of your work and the overall thesis, how, and the overall thesis, how would you break them in? Well, to anyone who's interested in ancient American history, I would have to remind them that American history, at least through the lens of the United States, undoubtedly begins with Florida. That seems to be neglected at every junction, whether it's the Tartaria stuff, the old world, the mud flood, the 
whatever angle people are approaching this stuff, somehow Florida always seems to slip through the cracks and gets the short end of the stick because it doesn't have some of the maybe architecture and city centers that you'd find in other places. But I would assure the listeners that that history is there. And especially in cities such as St. Augustine, where nicknamed Ancient City, where the United States has its genesis, at least in the official mainstream narrative. So right off the bat, you have America, and I'm actually reading a book right now in which the entire United States, and this was written in the 1500s, the entire United States is referred to as Florida, because at that time, there was no distinction between the peninsula of Florida and the United States. Hmm. So at the beginning of the United States, it was referred to as Florida by the Spanish. And if you've seen my channel a little bit, or if you've just walked down the streets of some of these cities, you see Moorish architecture. Now that's one clue, but to zoom out a little bit, what else the channel might be about, someone who's never seen it before, right there you have the starting place of America. If you want to look at it geologically, as you indicated, you have the aquifer. Now this isn't just an aquifer that the people of Florida enjoy. This aquifer leads out into the Gulf of Mexico and is likely the source of the Gulf Stream itself. 72 degree water oozing out into essentially a shallow toilet bowl, which is every so often or continuously flushed into the Atlantic Ocean. This, the Gulf Stream, is the mother of all oceans on this planet, undeniably so. And anyone who's into old world chronology, many of them seem to neglect the fact that regardless of your position, there was a freezing period in the Northern Hemisphere. This is evident by the fact that the limestone is absent from much of the Northern Hemisphere because it was shaved away by either rocks being pushed by glaciers or the glaciers themselves was shaved clean of the limestone. Now, Florida, however, one of the reasons that we know Florida has fared so well throughout time geologically, you know, seismically, however you want to look at it. Noah, 8,000 years back in human history, there's zero evidence of volcanic, seismic, tsunami, any of this stuff on the Florida Peninsula. Now that's because, and sorry, well, this is where we start getting into the Garden of Eden theories, because it is a land of fertility and hospitality. Mm. And you kind of indicated before it gets a bad rap. There's kind of a propaganda war against Florida. It's only the old people who are, the old and rich, who are permitted to come down and enjoy it. I had the privilege of being born here, and I've chosen to stay here. But, uh, yeah, I think I've said enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a great intro. And you mentioned that some of the ruins and sites might not be as visible there as in other places. But in one of your videos, you talk about Florida having like six or eight great fires and obviously numerous hurricanes. So maybe that's where some of it went. Of course, there are still remnants, which we will be talking about. 
But for people who think Florida is just a hot, muggy, mosquito and gator infested swampland, you mentioned some of the things they are missing that make it quite unique, but there are even more like quartz sand beaches, which are quite unique. And the aquifer is unique in its size and freshness, but also the springs that it supplies. Talk to us about some of the other things geographically, geologically that make Florida so unique, like those sand beaches and some of the springs that people could visit. That's a great direction to take it, Greg. And you touched on initially how people think it's hot and muggy, humid, too many bugs. However, we have an article from the Civil War, pre-Civil War even, might have been 1840s or 30s, but definitely pre-Civil War, during Civil War, that they were expeditioning, taking expeditions into Florida to survey land, this and that, and they were pretty much walking through the highlands, or what essentially is the highlands in Florida, the land that would be consistently out of the water. And they took that down as far south as they could. And they noted that as close as they got to the Everglades, which is consistently moving, there was less and less mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes were thickest at the coasts. But initially, as Florida flowed, Florida, as it flowed initially, because it is a continuously flowing river, right? Rio, Rida, Ida, Eden, all this and that. We can get into all those, but it is a flowing river. And this is the river of grass, a one of a kind ecosystem on the planet. Nothing replicates it, not even coming close. It still perplexes science. Why? Because it's essentially a slow drain that the springs continually ooze forth. Nowhere on this planet do you see a larger pump, higher magnitude issuing forth of spring water than you do in the Florida Peninsula, upper Florida Peninsula especially. Mm. Now, it's no coincidence that these areas were claimed to be the Garden of Eden widely by many people, but one especially who we're going to get into, E.E. E. Calloway, kind of got the most fame out of it. He was our 1936 Republican candidate for governor. And he did not even touch on the springs. He did not even touch on the sacks or stones, some of the stuff we're going to talk about later on. But the springs are proof of something alone. And I think that something is Eden. However, there's nothing like it on the planet. The inlands of Florida, most people are shown the Everglades, a little bit of beach, maybe a little bit of natural coastline, but rarely, you know, mangroves and stuff. And the mangroves and the natural coastline had a reputation for being mucky. And rightfully so. Why? Because they protected on the East Coast, especially where the mangroves were thickest. These protected the coastline and the barrier islands. So these were protection. Now we've since hacked them all down and replaced them with artificial beaches on the East Coast. So this is why we're going to, you know, we're laying this distinction early on. East Coast Florida has been highly developed, largely, Southeast Florida especially. And that's where most people go if they're vacationing. It gets a bad reputation. That's where all the old people retire to. Most of them, not all of them, but almost everyone has a grandparent in Southeast Florida. <laughs> that's like a Jerry Seinfeld joke or something. <laughs> but 
that's another thing. All the elderly moving down here, all the sick moving down here. And I always like to start with the name, you know, cover as much of the name as we can. Florida, you know, so many people will talk about something and never, never even analyze the name, you know, go on and on into the intricacies, but they just gloss over the name. I really like to dig into the names of things. Florida. Florid. Florid actually means as many good words as there are in Florida, and there's many. The word florid indicates sickness, right? You know this word? Mm -hmm. Florid, to be sick, you know, ill, a chest cough. Florid could mean a lot of things, but it generally could mean anyone with a sickness. So this indicates another reason why people were coming to Florida to be cured of sickness. Ah means to in Spanish, but it could also mean land of the sick or, you know, land for the sick. But Florida, you know how many billionaires and presidents went to Florida when they were near death, you know, were all out of options. They had gone through all the options, all the possibilities, the diagnosis, only to move down to Florida to be cured, such as Ed Leedskownen himself being among these people. He wasn't a billionaire, but he touched down in Florida after being diagnosed with a certain illness. So Florida, Florida's always had a reputation as a land of healing, supreme health. <laughs> well, you're hitting on a lot of stuff that is interesting to me. So you mentioned the Garden of Eden hypothesis. You have a great documentary on Florida as the original Fertile Crescent. And it sounds a bit weird at first, but as you say, the place we know as the Fertile Crescent traditionally is not fertile nor crescent-shaped. And you go really deep into the architecture and the names of places in Florida that speak to the Moorish slash Islamic influence. Well, elaborating on those names a bit, give us some of the best examples of this influence hiding in plain sight, because the overall thesis is that there was a rich history of cross-Atlantic travel and trade and just multiple cultures coming here before Columbus. But all that has to be wiped away for the Columbus story to be the main story in our history books. And there's reasons why they wanted to discover it and say they were the first Christians there so they could claim the land, yada, yada. There were people here already, as we know. But talk to us about this Garden of Eden hypothesis and some of the names of the locations around Florida that let us know that, hey, these are weird names for a place that was discovered by the Spanish and named by the Spanish. A lot of these seem to predate Columbus. Right. Well, that's a good setup. Let's bring it back to St. Augustine, right? Because that's the first permanent European settlement in North America or United States. You had St. Augustine, Florida. Pensacola failed. New Smyrna, that's a, you know, I talk about New Smyrna a little bit too, because that's a ancient Greek city, Smyrna. But we can talk about that a little later on. But St. Augustine, let's not get too far away from the mainstream history book pick it apart first. The mainstream tells us the United States starts in St. Augustine, ancient city. It's nicknamed ancient city for those who don't know. It's in northeast Florida, near Jacksonville, north of Palm Beach, 
north of Orlando, east of Orlando, along the coast. And this is approximately where the ships would take their right-hand turn to go back to Spain with the gold that they'd loaded up on in Peru and places like that, Mexico. So St. Augustine was important to them. And there's a star fort there, a magnificent star fort, Castillo de San Marco. But let's talk about ancient city. Why is it nicknamed ancient city? Well, St. Augustine. Why did they name the city St. Augustine? And why is the city completely filled with Moorish architecture? Because St. Augustine himself was a Moor, or North African, descended from North African. So it's no coincidence they would name a place that is potentially, as I've put forth in some of my channel, was either visited by or previously inhabited by Moorish people. Or, if you want to break it down to a broader, melanated people, Islamic practicing people. There's many angles to look at it. Not all of them agree with each other, so we're not speaking for any of them, but St. Augustine, that's who he was. That's why they named it. That's why they call it ancient city. Ancient typically means a thousand years old or more. Now, some people will say, oh, it means 500 years. That's kind of a loose usage of the word ancient, but that's about when St. Augustine was born, 1560s. So right off the bat, if you've ever been to St. Augustine, and I've toured it in one of my videos, going to be touring it again a couple times, it's covered in stone architecture. Stone, solid stone, cast concrete, some of the first poured concrete buildings in the world, and some of the first buildings to have electricity from the get-go, uncoincidentally. These were constructed, allegedly, by Henry Flagler, who was the partner, friend, and co-founder of Standard Oil with John D. Rockefeller. So that's who, allegedly, touched up St. Augustine in the late 1800s. But 300 years earlier, you had the Spanish landing here. Now, not too long after, and potentially before, you had French Huguenots on the west coast of Florida, northwest Panhandle. Now, I spoke to a man in Miami who has evidence, reason to believe that they were in Miami. So there's many things that were not taught about or are simply not highlighted when other aspects are highlighted. Mm -hmm. And we get a very Spanish narrative. Of course, Spain emerged victorious in the land of Florida. So we get a Spanish narrative. But to the names, like you said, if we look at some of the other names, that's St. Augustine, so that's a Moorish person. Let's just go down the coast. From there, you have an ensemble of Greek names. So many Greek names which you would expect because in the 1700s, Florida, and this is not talked about widely by the mainstream, Florida was quite literally populated by thousands of Greeks. 1500, right off the bat, Greek Menorcans who are off the coast of Spain but are culturally Greek, more or less, Turks, and Ottoman subjects, people who were under Ottoman rule and decided to move to Florida. And this was a Scottish colony being directed by Scottish men, but being populated, they were employing 
Menorcans and Greeks from the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's... Oh shit. You all right? This truck just fucked some shit up outside the store. <laughs> Goddamn. Typical Florida chaos, huh? Yeah, big tall truck coming through like our downtown. Mm. Just took off a piece of like the oak tree. Oh geez. So that is a good preview of some of the cultures that were in the area before Columbus, you know, just before the story starts. And there are other names like the islands of Turks and Caicos. Yes. There's a Turkey <laughs> Key Island. Yes, sir. Turkey Key, right next to Mormon Key, right next to Mosquito Key. What does Mosquito mean? Because you have Muscovy in Russia, Muscogee in Florida. Mosquito is Little Mosque. Hmm. It's a Little Mosque. It's like a derogatory name. Like, oh, that bloodsucker. Like, oh, that Muslim <laughs> sucking my blood, you know? Mosquito, seriously. It's a derogatory Sometimes Spanish people still have a lot of racist Hispanic <laughs> Hispanic people still have, and I'm not taking any digs here. It's just a cultural thing. They have a lot of racist nicknames for animals that you wouldn't believe that are really common <laughs> in South America. There's also this I wanted to throw out, which is this flag that you show for the Muscogee Creek Nation. It is the star and crescent. It looks just like a Muslim flag. And it's like, how did this flag become the Muscogee Creek Nation flag if there wasn't that influence? There's also a crescent city. And I guess the premise is that maybe the symbol came from the crescent of the, the gulf there. And like maybe the star was a sunken city or Atlantis, we could say. Yes, sir. You have crescent city. New Orleans, which would be the nose of the crescent moon. Okay, the Gulf of Mexico is a perfect crescent moon, tip to tip. The Florida Peninsula to the Yucatan Peninsula. And the nose of this moon is New Orleans, where the Mississippi River issues forth. And the Mississippi, uncoincidentally, is nicknamed either the mother of all waters or the father of all waters. And as I said, the Gulf Stream which is probably a combination of water from fresh water from the Florida aquifer and then the water being expelled by the Mississippi River. Those two feed all the oceans of this planet. Mm. Certainly those in the northern hemisphere, northeastern hemisphere. Damn. But the Gulf of Mexico is the warmest body of water on the planet per size and volume of water. So this is a clear indication of fertility, life, life-giving properties. What are the two precursors to life? Heat and humidity. Okay? Yeah. These are the amniotic conditions from which most life issues forth. So you have... Florida, and the you know it's not. I always exalt Florida, rightfully so. But the Yucatan Peninsula shares in much of these qualities and some of its own, which are unique to it, especially with the ores that come out of that area, hmm. and a little bit outside of there. But yeah, it's richer in other things. But Florida takes the cake because we'll get into some of the philosophy behind architecture and why the lack of 
large stone complexes could possibly be an indication of advancement among people. I like it. I like it. So I can't believe we're already a fourth of the way through this thing, but just to give a little more context, the official history of Florida is that the Spanish conquered it from the natives in 1513. Then the British Empire got it from the Spanish and immediately enslaved the melanated people who took refuge there and had 150 years of symbiosis where everyone was getting along. Right. And then in 1784, it was given back to the Spanish basically for free. And then we had the Barbary Wars. This is where it gets weird because you don't hear about this much, but even just the conventional Wikipedia says the Barbary Wars were a series of two wars fought by the United States, Sweden, and the Kingdom of Sicily against the Barbary states of North Africa in the early 19th century. The war brought an end to the American practice of paying tribute to the pirate states and helped mark the beginning of the end of piracy in that region. So even officially, I don't think many people know that the U.S. had a war with pirates from North Africa in the 1800s, but this is where it gets even crazier because another aspect of the Moorish history on top of the architecture is elephants in Florida. You show a ton of old black and white photos of upper-class European folks riding elephants, using them as golf caddies, using them to plow fields, and even elephants on water skis being pulled behind boats. It's so weird. But you think the Moors brought the elephants because they're more native to those regions, and then the elite class Europeans moved into all the luxurious Moorish buildings, and the Freemasonic Ringling Brothers took the elephants for the circus and helped obscure the history. Is that right? That's a great overview. You're, <laughs> yeah, I drift away off topic, but that was a great setup. <laughs> the best way I could sum it up is Venice. There is a peculiar fetish obsession with Venice in Florida. There's multiple Venices in Florida multiple cities that were called the Venice of America, the Venice of the South, the Venice of this and that. And Tarpon Springs being one of them, by the way. Then you have Venice, Florida, Naples, Florida, all these different places. Florida could very well be named for the same goddess, Ida, as Italy, Ita, Italy, right? Or Florida, Flora, the Roman goddess of springtime, flowers, Easter, light, of course, fluorescent. So the word fleur de lis is kind of redundant because it's light and light, light of light, flower and light go back to the same word, fluorescent, florida. So this goddess, Floris, Florida, Ida, many Venices. So this Greco-Roman connection, there's also St. Petersburg, which goes back to Russia. Now, you, you touched on the elephants, and I won't drift too far away from that. But the elephants, to me, were used by the Phoenicians, we know. The Phoenicians are famous for transporting elephants across the sea. So they brought them to places they weren't allegedly native to. Now, the animal that we're kind of exposed to most in mainstream propaganda is the mammoth, and this old, like, hairy, brutish mammoth. When in actuality, the American mammoths and mastodons 
were very similar to modern elephants. And unless you're an expert on prehistoric skeletons, if you saw one with skin, we may not even be able to distinguish. You may even just think it's kind of a continental variation, like Asiatic elephant, you know, African elephant, and then, oh, American elephant. Well, today they classify that as mastodon, mammoth. And it's no coincidence, Florida, in addition to the pictures you're talking about, Florida is also the world's greatest source of completely intact, 100% preserved elephant bones, or prehistoric elephant bones, mammoth and mastodon. So some of these, there's actually evidence that the mammoth and mastodon lasted in the Americas longest in Florida of any place in the Americas. That's pretty well substantiated because of how many are preserved there and how long into human quote-unquote evolution, this is them talking, not me, that the elephant coexisted with man, as evidenced by carvings, arrowheads stuck in their bones, stuff like that. And so, yeah, Florida's a gold mine of elephants. <laughs> and that makes sense, because with the pictures, there's a bit of a narrative to be drawn there. And I try not to fill in too many of the gaps myself. You know, I haven't sunk my teeth into the elephant thing too much. But it's really odd, because I think the biggest flock of elephants, group of elephants in the Americas today, still and probably ever since the 1920s, has been on the west coast of Florida. Central Florida, even today, there's an elephant sanctuary that's most of the discarded, or rescued, whichever way you look at it, circus elephants. And I cover the Ringling family a bit in my videos, and I'm going to cover them some more. I've been to the Ringling Mansion, which is oddly, and these are the elephant trainers, the masters of the elephant, the people who introduced the elephant into the circus and made it synonymous with the circus, the Ringlings have a mansion in Sarasota, Florida. Sarasota, the name is, they don't know where that word comes from, Sarasota. Hmm. But nonetheless, the Ringlings, who were German and have German ancestry, and were Freemasons, by the way. That's not a suspicion, it's, they were proud Freemasons. All the Ringling brothers, John Ringling, built, allegedly built, a Venetian mansion on the west coast of Florida, Sarasota, or just outside of Sarasota, maybe, because it's on the beach. But that's the Ringling Mansion, and today the Ringling Museum is there. And back then, the largest flock of elephants, herd of elephants was staying there, and they would winter at Florida. That was their home base, hmm. west coast of Florida. And it still is, because the descendants of these elephants are still in a large herd in Florida. <laughs> so interesting. And the images are just really off-putting to look at, especially using an elephant as a golf caddy. But man, on top of that, Another thing that people should see the images of are the giant trees. You unearthed this older footage of black and white photos of early settlers cutting down massive trees as big as any redwoods I've seen in the Pacific Northwest, apparently monarch cypress trees that were so big 
there are images of actual scaffolding attached to the side oh, so yeah. that multiple people could work on the tree on on downing it and in this video the narrator even says it was not uncommon for them to down trees that were 3000 years old and it's really sad but it's just another unknown aspect of pre-colonial florida and even still you mentioned the longevity aspects the people coming down to florida even now it's a tradition as you say for the older people to retire in florida and then start their best life now that they've worked away their prime years but this gets into just the lush biodiversity the fertile soil the giant trees the oranges and this fertile crescent idea but when it comes to the oranges, you consider it a pretty magical fruit, maybe even biblical. You play testimony from people who lived on only oranges for six months in one case, a thousand and eight days in another, and they were never healthier. They looked decades younger. And then we also have the story of Charlie Smith. He was a guy who apparently died at 137 years old. He was a black dude who was brought over as a slave and it was fascinating to hear him actually say in his own voice in audio recordings what that was like. He was actually told that there was a fritter tree on the boat, meaning like a pancake tree. And they had never seen this kind of food before. So the white man's like, oh, there's a there's a fritter tree. We got it. It's right down here in the boat. And he got on the boat and the boat took off and he never got back. It's like really a sad story. He asked his mom if he could go see these strange white men in their boats, and then he never got back to his mom and was brought over. But he worked his whole life, and he was an orange picker. And he was doing that after he was already 100 years old. And so the insinuation here, along with these other stories of people having the orange-only diet, is that being outside in the Florida sun and eating a lot of oranges, these are the keys to longevity, apparently, I'm learning. Yeah, this is the general consensus among the rich. It's only the poor who are seemingly oblivious to it. Rockefeller knew this. Edison knew this. Led Ed Leedskownen, who was not rich, but I'll count him among these quote-unquote great people or notable people, knowledgeable people, at least we can clump them together, is that, that he moved down to Florida to reap its benefits. Who else do we have on that list? Flagler, of course, partner of Rockefeller. Henry Plant, competitor, but at the same time friend of Henry Flagler, another railroad tycoon. And he was a steam guy, actually, steam energy, big on steam. And his whole thing was rail to boat to airship. And that's another thing Florida's unique for is Opelika, Florida was America's number one skyport for airships, zeppelins, dirigibles. The Graft Zeppelin would consistently land at Opelika, Florida. Amelia Earhart left for her trip from Opelika, Florida. Huh. And Opelika, Florida is actually also a Greek word, by the way. Opa, you know, mm -hmm. you ever been to a Greek restaurant? But all the Greek and Creek names we kind of glossed over earlier is all these Greek names. But Opelika, Florida, being America's number one skyport, 
and the Graf Zeppelin would consistently land there. No coincidence that the Seminole tribe, who had claim over that area, their flag is the same flag as Germany, the modern German flag. So there is an interesting connection. The Miami flag is the same flag as India. And if you know anything about Maya, what the word Maya means in Indian or Hindu, Sanskrit, Vedic mythology, well, Maya means a heck of a lot. <laughs> but there's all these other connections. The trees, you know, the one picture you saw of the people standing on the scaffolding uh, on the tree. Scaffolding. Yeah, thank you. That tree was likely 7,000 years old because some of the cypress trees that are not even that notable for their size are about 2,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And there's one standing today that's very, very big that they say is only 2,000. That one's probably larger than that. The senator they placed at 3,500. The tree that we see the men standing on the scaffolding, that's at least twice as big as the senator. The senator is the one that got burnt down by the meth head in 2012. Mm. <laughs> Typical Florida headline. <laughs> yes. So one other point I wanted to make about the oranges is really interesting from one of your videos because it parallels things we see going on today with government officials coming through to check your chickens because the bird flu's out there. So if you get one positive test, they're going to just kill your whole flock. Oh, yeah. Well, there was something called the canker scare in the years 1995, I guess, and 2005. Also, there was another round of it, but the government forcibly removed infectious, quote unquote, Florida orange trees from people's private property. And the insinuation is that, well, the big machine does not want us to have access to anything that is good for us, especially not that we can produce ourselves that we don't rely on the system for. And they would do this kind of thing at the behest of the corporate orange companies. Oh, yeah. And this is just such an interesting little thing. I don't know if there's even much to add other than those cliff notes, but it mirrors a lot of other things that happen. <laughs> I can tell you that they've done studies. They were very particular on this in the 1920s. There was a lot of interest, independent research into health, longevity. I talk a lot about it gentleman named Hilton Hotema, or that's his pen name. I think his name was George Clement. He was an author, a mystic, a writer. I think he had a bit of a religious training too, but he was a soldier in the Philippines, and he had studied and researched, been to many parts of the planet, studied longevity. And him, among other people, they had studied the properties of the orange in Florida versus the orange in other places of the world, especially California, where they really try and convince us that, sadly, America gets most of its produce from California, mm -hmm. or it's the state where we get the largest contribution, Florida being close second in many, many categories. But the price that California pays for their produce is very, very large, you know, detrimental. You have the amount of water that they have to pump. Well, back to the research they've done on California oranges lack in virtually all the nutrients that you find in Florida oranges. And this is kind of perplexing 
because and anyone who's tasted California oranges knows they're not quite as good, but they're bred and they're highly they tamper with their oranges much more heavily over there to get them to grow under unfavorable conditions and to produce a cosmetic skin that's often painted. And Florida paints oranges too, so Florida's not doing everything great. You know, the orange juice monopolies have their home bases in Florida too. But the studies indicate 100 years ago, 70 years ago, 50 years ago, up until the research kind of, you know, stops altogether and it's kind of seen as fruit is just a extra food rather than a source of sustenance or medicine. But what you really get is the Florida oranges have considerable amounts of strange elements they were finding things like radium yes and the citrus something unique about citrus anyone can experience this themselves if you've ever washed with like a turmeric you know you get this glowing lime green tinge that's left over on everything you cooked with or if you touch your shirt you'll see lime green right huh orange what's the lime green one Talking to my girlfriend, she made a face at me. <laughs> they always do. You know, you cook with turmeric and there's like a highlighter color left over. And basically, anyone who's squeezed lime or lemon juice themselves filled up a thing of fresh squeezed lemonade and you've seen it glisten in the sun. It is radiant. It's one of the few foods, one of the few things that radiates light. It's very strange. Now, this goes back to the word Florida. Florida meaning fluorescent or light. The fleur de lis was actually carved in stone in Florida when some of the Europeans first came here. The fleur de lis. They actually believed that a quote unquote Greek people had left them in Florida. So, shout out Ben from Waking Up with Analog, the archivist. He sent me that article a while back. Mm. But back to the citrus, citrus, oranges, almost in every culture, in almost every language, except a few, mean golden apple, the one from mythology. And the classical depictions of all these mythical paradises always showed citrus, oranges, typically, because those are the golden apples. And astrologically, apples are not ruled by the sun. Citrus is, however. Oranges, especially, ruled by the sun, alchemically, astrologically, however you want to look at it. Hmm. Very interesting. The orange rabbit hole goes deep. So there's also a video you've done about pyramids in Florida. For people who don't know, Florida is ridiculously flat. But as you point out, the state seal of Florida originally had big pyramids in the background. Then it was revised to look more like mountains when there are no mountains in Florida either. and then. Eventually, it was obscured altogether in later versions of the seal. Where are some of these most impressive pyramids? What do we know about them? I'm sure not very much. So one that people can really get a good idea of, the Letchworth Love Mound still stands today. It's covered in earth, but that is a pyramidal, four-sided, step pyramid-style pyramid. That's in northern Florida. 
You have other places like Big Mound City, Fort Center, a couple different large, large sites, but there's a little mounds sprinkled throughout Florida. There's one down the street for me in a park. And then you have the mound builders, you know, the mound builders themselves were building pyramids all over the place. They were just largely earthen, or at least we think they're all earthen because we're not allowed to dig on them. Whereas the great pyramids of Mexico, okay, the largest pyramids in Mexico, were, they looked just like a hill. They looked like a bushy hill when they were first discovered. Not discovered, but first kind of being excavated in the late 1900s, early, early 1900s, late 1800s, early, early 1900s. You had just a hill. Then they swept it off, and voila, you have a beautiful pyramid. Anyone who's seen on kind of a history channel or a discovery channel offshoot side channel, they had a expedition of these two dudes. It was very dramatized, but it was legit. They went to a researcher in Florida named Gary Daniels. And Gary Daniels has studied the Maya in, I think he says, three different continents. So I'm not sure what the third is, but that's North America and South America. And the Maya, which is probably where Mayan Miami takes its name. Then you have Mayaca in Florida, the Mayama. Lots of different Maya. And then you have Miami, Ohio. Well, why is that significant? Because Henry Flagler was from Ohio. And Miami initially was going to be named Flagler City. And he said, no, 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 no. Name it Miami, Maya, and me. And he was from Ohio, like I said, just like Rockefeller was. Hmm. So a couple of different connections there. But... <laughs> I love it. I love it. and. Before we're done with the first hour here, you mentioned Big Ed and Coral Castle. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will know a little bit about Coral Castle, but this guy came and moved these multi-ton coral blocks and shapes and stacked them like a traditional megalithic site in Florida. And he wasn't from here. He was from Lithuania, I believe. I believe he was Latvian. Latvian. Yes, probably Latvian. And... This is a mysterious site, but he says that he moved these stones on his own using the secrets of frequency, levitation. He would do it at night. I'm sure people have heard deep dives on this story, but I've seen pictures of the site. It looks amazing. It's one of the first places I want to go. But what are your thoughts on Big Ed and Coral Castle and maybe the properties of the area that allow it to have been made? Well, I've been there myself. A couple of years ago, going to head back, that's not super easy to get in there. I think it's like 40 bucks and they're closed two days a week. But I've been there. It's magnificent to go. I've sat on the chairs. The chairs are comfortable, as they say. The rock, for those who don't know, the door swings open, the big, heavy, you know, I don't know what it is, five ton, 10 ton door swings easy. And I'm an astrologer. And I think what most people neglect on the 
Coral Castle is the fact that it's astrologically aligned as the North Pole Pole Star Telescope, or I forget the proper name for that. But Poloscope, Polarscope, I guess that's what we'll call it for right now. A pole in a rock that is perfectly orientated to the North Star. So this tells us the entire site is aligned astrologically. There's many different write-ups you can do on this to show this graphs and charts and overlays from aerial perspective that I'm going to be laying out in a video of my own. But what I can say offhand is that the man was from Eastern Europe, Northeastern Europe, Baltic region, I guess you could call it. And he was a short man, very, very short man. And short people, as well as giant people, have a very important role to play in Florida's history. Juan Ponce de Leon himself, the man attributed with discovering Florida, he was four foot eleven himself. Now, as I said, I'm reading a book right now about Florida, but I've said this in many of my videos, but the book corroborates it, even in the mainstream narrative. Florida was a land of giants. Truly giants. Not only that, there were small people, however, and we see not only certain cultures gravitating towards Florida, but certain shapes of humanity gravitating towards Florida as well. And the circus, you know, the circus deals with elephants, do they not? Mm -hmm. Well, what else do they deal with? Freaks, midgets, <laughs> giants. And that circus, the largest circus in the world, was centered in west coast of Florida. And we also have to touch on the magnificence of the people that Florida's capable of bringing about. The NFL, the NBA, NCAA. Are you aware of where these organizations and colleges get the vast majority of their high-performance athletes, the ones that always rise to the top? And this is consistent from the college level right up to the pro. I'm unaware, but I'm guessing Florida. Absolutely. Now, tech, <laughs> now, to give Texas some credit, because it's Texas and Florida interchangeably. So some years, some sports, it'll be Florida producing the most athletes consistently. And then you have Texas. Now, why is this? It's because these two states have the largest amount of Mexican coastline, the Gulf of Mexico, the highest amount of coastline along the Gulf of Mexico. This yields a certain physical magnificence to the people, not bestowed to everyone, because diet still plays a part, genetics still play a part. But if you're ripe for receiving this, this area, better than any on this planet, brings about an athletically superior people. And I'm not saying that because I was born here. I, did, I <laughs> was okay at sports, but I can prove it to you this way. A school that I played against myself who would whoop everyone, and it wasn't even close. IMG Academy is located in Bradenton, Florida, right next to Tampa Bay, which is kind of the crux of a lot of my theories yeah. and a lot of my content. Tampa Bay, the capital seaport of Atlantis, as we'll call it, is where they chose to place this school that consistently 
produces, now this is high school we're talking about, consistently produces the finest athletes on the planet, bar none. You cannot pick another school on another country that produces better athletes consistently. In fact, New Zealanders and, and all these different, you know, obscure sports players actually come to IMG to get better at their own sports mm. in a land that doesn't even play them. <laughs> so now, of course, a lot of this has to do with the staff and this and that, but they are situated directly along this fertile crescent with the most life-giving properties, the water, the air. Florida has the freshest supply of air in the world, hmm. not because it's of a particularly richness or mineral content or whatever, but it's highly humid, okay? Very, very humid, which is why you see a substantial lack of respiratory illnesses in Florida consistently every year, but the freshest air. So it's very hard to pollute Florida because the water issues forth with such magnitude that you couldn't taint one of these springs even if you tried. <laughs> you know, knock on wood here, but the air supply is the same way. Because it's a peninsula that juts so far out into three separate bodies of water, and the Gulf Stream tempers this area consistently, you have a flow of air, a flow, right, that consistently brings fresh air from either side over this peninsula. So no amount of toxic air can sit stagnant over florida as it can in many many places right right yeah those are great points and a side thread to the giants thing and getting into the garden of eden thing is that a lot of biblical characters had lifespans well over 100 years or even 200 now my attitude is like well maybe in the dozen of translations that have been done something was wrong but if we're going to take them at their word that they count the same way we count and they had multi hundred year lifespans well it seems to be another aspect of this place being the fertile crescent this place being much more important to the biblical story they just couldn't let north america be in the story they had to obscure everything because of course we know the rest but that's an interesting side note. And of course, Charlie Smith was said to be 137 years old, and he didn't live in the most luxurious of conditions. He was a slave who picked oranges his whole life, and obviously mobility, all that stuff, like being active, staying active, yeah, that's going to be useful for your health. But the water, the fruits, the air seems like a, a place where those long lifespans are possible. Yeah, he probably had at least three oranges a day. And I know for certain, I know for a fact, he lived in a unair conditioned shack, cottage. So Hilton Hotema attributes his long life to Florida's climate and him never living in an air conditioned unit. Hmm. And he really exalts the climate not only the fruit, which Charlie undoubtedly was eating. But if we look back even further than that, we have even more clear indications that if any land consistently produced well-aged people like those described in the Bible, it is right here in the Gulf of Mexico, especially the Florida Peninsula. 
<laughs> now, how do we know that? Temucua, the Temucua natives, in the words of the French themselves, not only were they a foot and a half taller than their largest man, and that's the French saying this. Now I'm reading a book called La Inca de la Florida, written in the 1500s, late 1500s, talking about the DeSoto expedition. So this is a Spanish point of view. They said that the chief Tuscaloosa, where we get Tuscaloosa, you know, Alabama, right? That's Tuscaloosa. I think so. Mm -hmm. Tuscaloosa, it's in the Gulf of Mexico for sure. But Tuscaloosa, named for an ancient chief, a creek, Temucua, not necessarily Temucua, but a relative of the Temucua, definitely an ancestor of the creek. This guy was as tall from the waist up as the tallest man on the Spanish expedition. And that is a fact that is verified by three separate sources, or else it would not have made it into the book. And this book was written by an Inca, not a Spanish man. Well, he was part Spanish, but he was an Inca. So that sounds like an independent reference, you could say. Yeah, for sure. But you have the French calling these people giants. So that's the height. You were speaking on the age. We'll see these things go hand in hand, as they did in the Bible. The Temucua, as I said, were about seven and a half feet tall on the low end. These people lived to 300 years old. The oldest among them claimed to be 350. And when the Spanish, or sorry, when the French saw him, they said, yeah, he looks 350. And the ones that were 100 had as much youth as a 20-year-old. So can you imagine this? And people say, oh, this is lunar years, solar years. No, 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 no. They established early on the calendars between the two of these people. The natives were speaking Castilian within a year of the first Spanish coming to Florida. All the natives on the Gulf of Mexico, the eastern Gulf of Mexico, west coast of Florida, had learned Castilian, Spanish. Okay, just from their short encounters. So these people were able to talk very easily, not to mention there was captives on either side who had learned the languages of either, and they were aiding all these expeditions. Now, this is the mainstream narrative, granted, but these people were not misunderstanding each other is the point I'm trying to make. Right, right. You also note that these Spanish conquistadors said in their notes that, yes, these natives do have feasts, but overall, they don't eat much. And they equated that to their longevity, that the number one thing that shortens lives is gluttony, is probably a 2,000 calorie a day diet. We don't trust our system on anything related to diet. We don't trust the food pyramid. We don't trust the latest thing that came out that said canned peaches and Lucky Charms were more healthy than natural foods, but we trust them when they say 2,000 calories a day. You hear it all the time. You see it on every menu. It's in our minds, but maybe we should have 1,000 calories a day or less. Maybe that is killing us. Oh, absolutely. Now, in defense of the mainstream, in defense <laughs> of all the people who eat as they feel, however they choose to, I will say, not everyone has the privilege of living in Florida. 
Now, when you live in Florida, I think it is easiest. Now, most people, you know, you'll find people, most people on the planet who live like this with little food on a raw fruitarian diet, gravitating towards Costa Rica, the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, and Florida. That's no coincidence. The freest people among America tend to gravitate towards freest thinking, freest thinking politically, culturally, tend to gravitate towards Texas and Florida. They have been the last five years, overwhelmingly. Hey, I was drawn. Yeah, you among them. Glad to have <laughs> you over here. Ah. Sharing the benefits. But the air, the air bestows such nutrition in itself that I think one can sustain themselves on a fruitarian diet in Florida. Hmm. And as Hilton Hotema himself, breatharian diet. Now, a lot of people roll their eyes at breatharian because when they think breatharian, they think no food. That's a fundamental misunderstanding. Breatharian actually means extracting nutrients from the breath or nutrition or energy, prana, sustenance, but quite literally nutrition. There are minerals in the air. That's something a lot of people don't talk about either. Hmm. Humidity, I mean, psh, you ever smoked pot? <laughs> Once or twice. That's a vegetable you eat with your lungs. If that's not magic, I don't know what is. Amen. I like it. And the only thing I wanted to try to fit in here before I cut you loose, I mean, I had a bunch of other questions. I mean, we were going to maybe talk about the Miami circle and this and that. But I want to ask you about golf courses because this is just a really creative thing. And you have highlighted that many ancient sites and mounds across Florida could be hidden as features on golf courses. Most people know about the Serpent Mound in Ohio, but probably miss the fact that it too is on a golf course. Florida has more golf courses than anywhere, and you often need to be a member to access the most exclusive ones, but help make the case for people. What is it about the history of golf courses in Florida and the people who built them that gives us a hint at this side goal of obscuring and hiding the history with these courses? Well, I like to think of things as, you know, I, I hate like this relativity style thinking like, oh, there's no such thing as good or bad. But there is something to be demonstrated here. You can pick up a hammer and kill someone with it, an innocent person. Or you can take that hammer and build a house for the homeless or whatever good deed you could conceive of. Now, same way that, you know, Stalin drank water probably 10 times a day even. Are we going to demonize water? No. Now, many other things you could look at the same way. With the burial mounds, there is power to be had from these mounds, measurably, whether it's the electromagnetic phenomena associated with them, the ley lines associated with them, the potential weather protection brought about from them, not only physically by being break winds along the coast initially with the tall trees that we talked about protecting from hurricanes, but in Safety Harbor, not far from you, Safety Harbor, Florida, there's a folklore about Indian protection that protects the area from 
hurricanes. Yeah, bad weather. I've heard that. Yeah. Now, with many of these mounds, there's a perceived energy involved. And I'll just to broadly state it as that, in energy. So many people have different views on this. Some say it's a haunting thing, that it's 100% evil and bad and inherently to just be in those areas. That's why I kind of demonstrated the good or bad is not so black and white when you're speaking in terms of spirit, especially. But I'll demonstrate here how some person obsessed or controlled by a need for power could be infatuated with mounds like this and might even build their houses on top of them. In the case of John D. Rockefeller, built his vacation home near Jekyll Island on a Tamukua burial mound, a sacrificial stone, actually. And, you know, you raise the question, the mounds and the golf courses, what's the connection? Is there a connection? Well, there is 100% a connection that doesn't even need to be verified because they'll even tell you in the names of some of these courses, Indian Mound Golf Course in Ohio, Jekyll Island, Indian Mound Golf Course. There's also a golf course in Jekyll Island called Indian Mound Golf Course. Damn. And Donald Trump, who I'm a big fan of, not to step on anyone's toes, mm. but I'm not speaking poorly of him. He buried his wife on a golf course. <laughs> so this is being practiced right up until today. Golf courses were burial grounds. And in places like Florida, especially, where there's no elevation, the builders would gravitate towards the places that had Indian mounds because those were deemed not profitable from a real estate point of view. Everyone wanted flat real estate 100 years ago to build on without any difficulty. Well, they would gravitate towards the Indian mounds to build their golf courses on top of because they were naturally hilly. And in the 1950s, which is when most of these courses were being built, about 30 years earlier in the 20s or 1890s even, America was American Army Corps of Engineers and many private interests were going around raising these mounds to a, you know, nine feet lower, 10 feet lower, 20 feet lower in some instances, taking that earth, that shell, sometimes as hard as cement, because it was shell, which produces lime, right, which is what the active ingredient in cement, concrete, you have this shell binding together. And they would take this and build roads with it. And some of the finest roads on the planet were in the northeast coast of Florida, made from the shells of these Indian mounds. And then they would produce a white sand once it'd get driven over a fair amount. They'd produce this perfect white, soft road that everyone would rave about. Well, then they ended up paving them all over. And now we get this choppy brick. If you're lucky, the brick is beautiful, but it's choppy. Or you get this asphalt that just needs to be replaced every two years. It's worthless. Well, you had hundreds of miles of shell road in pre-colonial Florida. But yeah, the mounds. So Rockefeller built his house on a mound, northeast Florida, Georgia border, Jekyll Island, which is where the 
Federal Reserve was conceived, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. put into practice. That's Jekyll Island. Then in Florida, South Florida, Naples, you have the golf capital of the planet. And this is in southwest coast of Florida. You have the capital of golf in the planet, golf capital of the world, the second golf capital of the world being St. Andrews, Scotland, right? So Scotland. Well, as I said earlier, the Scottish actually colonized Florida in the 1700s with Greek servants, Greek workers, indentured servants. Well, it's no coincidence that about 100 years later, when the Seminoles were fighting, the Seminoles had about half or a quarter Celtic Scottish ancestry. So these are another one of these coincidences that doesn't make much sense. The Scottish presence in Florida and a little riddle or limerick poem, I guess, not even, I like to say is the Gulf Wars were largely fought from the Gulf courses of Florida. <laughs> Both of the Gulf Wars, and it's true. The Bush families were fighting those wars from the Gulf courses of Florida. Damn. <laughs> Gulf War, Gulf, if you want to talk about Finland, you have Gulf, which is Golfo in Spanish, Golfo, right? And Zolfo means sulfur. So sulfur and Gulf go back to the same word. And you know that decomposition produces sulfur very often. Sulfur is synonymous with decomposition a lot of the times, or like rotten water, you know, egg water, yeah. sulfur smell associated with the dead and Saturn and the underworld, demons. Well, that's a uh, gulf, zolfo, gulfo, zolfos, zolfos, sulfur, gulfos, what they called the gulf. Well, gulf to gulf. The gulf stream goes from the Gulf of Mexico to the Gulf of Finland. And the gulf stream actually keeps the British Isles, Scotland included, right? Gulf to gulf or gulf to gulf keeps the British Isles warm. And if it didn't, they'd largely be inhospitable today. Hmm. Same goes for Iceland. Man. <laughs> but it goes Gulf to Gulf, St. Petersburg to St. Petersburg, Gulf of Mexico to Gulf of Finland. And that's your Gulf. I like it. And the streamline. So one last thing. People who play golf often have private jets. And the most famous private jet on the planet. Do you know the name of it? I don't. The Gulfstream jet. Hmm. Now, this is indicative of the pathway that the ancient rich traders would take between the Americas to the Eurasian continent in Africa. They would take the Gulfstream. No coincidence, the rich people of the planet today trace the continents in their Gulf stream jets today that's a gs g5 you know g3 or whatever they call them golf stream yeah fly like a g6 yes sir there you go <laughs> wow way to stick the landing i mean the rabbit hole goes deep you know a lot about a lot this has been awesome we covered a ton of great interesting stuff and i'm very impressed with the work you do let the people know how to follow up and watch some of this work support the venture or engage with you i know you do some call-in shows once in a while yeah. So Old World Florida on YouTube. Old underscore world underscore Florida on Instagram. 
I've got a Twitter too, but my assistant runs those, so I it's not like it's me on there. Fancy a TikTok too, I think, but I've never even touched that thing. So no, <laughs> but I'm on there, and then every Thursday, I'm doing a live call-in show at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If I'm not there on Thursday, that's because I'm doing something interesting on an exploration or expedition. But if not, every Thursday, live call-ins, all are welcome, no charge, no tip amount or anything. Anyone can call in. Cool, cool. Well, I hope that uh, some of these listeners pile in on uh, the following Thursday from the time this airs. But very awesome. I appreciate your time, man. Hopefully I'll see you out there, but take care and keep doing what you do. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Well, you know I can't leave THC listeners hanging on 420, so here we are. Fresh off an over 2,000-mile drive coast-to-coast from San Diego to my new home in Tampa, Florida. And believe it or not, I didn't really try that hard to arrange for this to be the first one from my new home. But Analog had mentioned that I check out the Old World Florida channel, and I saw a lot that I liked. And I reached out to get it on the books, but the dates for moving were all over the map. It should have actually happened two weeks earlier than it did if we could have gotten a satisfactory water test. And Dr. Longo could have run the Old World Michigan channel, for all I cared, you know? I like these explorations of different states or regions and working in this alternative history no matter what area it is. But the stars aligned and I was happy to walk the path. And to me, this is a fascinating avenue of inquiry, whether I was going to live here or not. But it did get me jazzed up about my new surroundings. I enjoy change like this, and I haven't had it in 13 years. It really gets all your synapses firing on all cylinders because you can't zone out when you're completely unfamiliar with your surroundings. Autopilot is off. I think the newness makes you more engaged with what you're doing and more tied to the moment. It feels great. I recommend it to everyone. But I thought Dr. Longo's material was great, vast, and diverse. He makes a good case for his reconstruction of so much and the importance of Florida in the human story. It makes you think when you look at the names of areas as clues and the crescent and star on a local tribe's flag. I don't know what that's about. And then there's videos we didn't even talk about of Dr. Longo's where he even traces marijuana and tobacco trade across the Atlantic. So maybe America was a bigger part of the wider human story, and maybe humans were more capable at a time that predates when the masters say we were. (laughs) I know that some of the claims are pretty radical and bold, but why couldn't the Fertile Crescent be somewhere completely different than we think it is? I find the more we think we know, the less we really do, right? And by the way, of all the intro song cover versions I have at this point, I thought the funky one was definitely the right one for Dr. Longo and a show about Florida. If you want to cover the THC intro music, please do. The more I can have, the better. I will give you a shout out in these wrap-ups when I use it. Thehiresidechats at gmail.com. Anyway, good show, bold stuff, though we have challenged much bigger assumptions than the location of the so-called Fertile Crescent. Why should that bother anyone? But still, I liked it a lot. 
If you're a Plus member, you got a whole lot more good stuff. In hour number two, we talked about the mysterious Saxer stones, what's interesting about Tarpon Springs, Florida, Dr. Longo's thoughts on Disney World and the area around it, Viking connections in Florida, the Bach Saga, Florida's Bach Tower, and the Little Man story. We talked about paranormal Florida, Dr. Longo's sighting, and who's really behind the UFOs. And we ended with hiding history in golf course landscapes. I think that's an interesting premise. And sign up for Plus already. You know, it's time. And higher side news, yeah, well, we made it. No bad weather, no car trouble, and no traffic, really. It was about as smooth as I could have asked for. I'm sure all the well wishes and good lucks provided a much appreciated sphere of protection. No doubt, right? We know about these things. But I am going through hell trying to do my job. Until I get the internet at home, I have to jump around from my brother-in-law's or a hotel to record an interview. I'm actually recording this from a hotel right now. That's why I kind of feel like I'm whispering, because it's a little late. But it is my only option to record the interview I have on the books early in the morning tomorrow. So I figured I'd get over here and record a little wrap-up and get this show out to you guys and start cramming for the morning. This is not ideal, but it is what I've got to do for the next two or three interviews I have scheduled if I want to meet the monthly plus promise. I'm concerned I might come up an episode short for April, but I am trying, guys. Anyway, let's look at the meetup calendar, as we tend to do. Tomorrow, April 21st, we got one in Sharonville, Ohio. In fact, it's the third time this group has gotten together. May 6th, Conspiracies and Dublin Brews in Dublin, Ireland at the Brewdog location in the Dublin Docklands. And then May 6th, the Conspiracy Theorizers at the High Springs Brewing Company in High Springs, Florida. And kudos to the High Springs Brewing Company for being fans of THC and for hosting a monthly meetup. And of course for the gift card they sent me, but it feels like a no-brainer if you listen to the show and you have a business that's a good gathering spot. Why not put a monthly meetup on the calendar and get a free shout-out to a pretty decently sized audience? We're very close to a parallel society, so why not show up for each other and support places that are actually aligned with your own beliefs and philosophy? I think the people would respond, but it's up to the meetup makers to put it out there. Man, but I guess that's it, guys. I am beat. I am really sick of driving and hotels and moving, but here we are at the local Best Western trying to bring you the good stuff. Thanks for listening and for bearing with me through the transition. Dr. Longo certainly got me psyched about this place. I'm excited to be over the big hump of moving. And a lot of people have asked me why Tampa specifically, and we made this move mainly to be closer to family. Because we have family on both me and my wife's sides in this area. And a second kid on the way kind of forced our hand where we needed to move and it needed to be somewhere where we would have a little more help. And that meant Missouri or Florida. And from there, it was a pretty easy choice. So, you know, (laughs) uh, there are just some people who take my opinion and my decisions with a lot of weight. Let's just say that. And to those people, it's like, hey, I made this decision mainly for personal reasons that are not going to be the same as your reasons. 
There's really no secret sauce here. But it does check a lot of these strategic relocation boxes in my mind, even though it gets a one star or maybe even a zero star in the strategic relocation book. But you can grow good stuff year round. You avoid winters. It's still not nearly as expensive as most other coastal places. It's an income tax free state. And I like the COVID response. I know DeSantis' free state of Florida slogan is just typical politispeak, but hey, not a lot of other states are even trying to use that kind of language to describe the culture that they're perpetuating. So whatever, whatever, I'm comfortable with it, and I wish you the best of luck in finding a place that you're comfortable with if you aren't there already. And lots of people from all over the state of Florida have reached out since I announced where I was going to be moving. They've offered me dinner at their restaurants, drinks at their bars, or to give me good options for local meat, raw milk, and organic produce. Heck, I even got offered a media badge to the Miami Bitcoin conference, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go. I don't feel like I need to know much more about Bitcoin, but it could be a fun experience, and Miami's not far anymore. I covered a Science of Consciousness conference that happened in San Diego a few years ago and made some plus bonus content out of summarizing and reviewing all the presentations. I'll probably do something like that again for this, not quite sure yet. But I guess what I'm saying is if cool offers and opportunities are any indication of a good choice, then this has clearly been a good choice. But I am getting out of here, prep time for the next interview in the AM, and then I can get back home for a few days. This is commitment, right? But the show must go on. Thanks for listening. Check out the Old World Florida channel. Dr. Longo makes some high-quality content. I thank him for his time. Take care out there. I've done my part. Your move, ancient America obscures, human story hiders, and old world Florida secret keepers. Your fucking move. I won't take it. No, I refuse. If it's all right, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a hole, got a neat elevator. Going under, and now you'll find me. In the bunker. of all 
is the special shelter built according to specifications of your local civil defense organization. The basement of any house or building will become a good improvised shelter if you block the windows with sandbags. If you don't have sandbags, just what can you do? Bunker, take it under. You'll find me in the bunker, bunker, bunker.